The Rick and Bobby Lader Lab is media partner with the Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives, or GAIA, for Zero Waste Month. GAIA is a network of grassroots groups, as well as national and regional alliances representing more than a thousand organisations from 92 countries. International Zero Waste Month is taking place right now with events happening online and in person. The Zero Waste Digital Film Festival is taking place online for the rest of the month. There are several conferences, marches and launches taking place throughout the month in India, the Philippines and around Asia. For the full event list, please see the show notes or visit www.no-burn.org. We also did a great podcast episode with Executive Director Froyland Great. If you'd like to learn more, check out Episode 7 of the Recombobulator Lab. Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham and Chris Dominic. All right, this week we welcome Ronan O'Flaherty, a seasoned journalist with two decades of experience. He's currently writing for the Independent News and Media. Uh, he started covering local football in Ireland, and, but has developed a big focus on MMA and UFC. And Chris and I are fascinated by the growth of that sport and wanted to have an expert on. So welcome, Ronan. It's great to be here. Thanks very much, Jason. And um, I really appreciate the way you uh, pronounce my name there. You got it spot on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Just because his ancestors are Irish doesn't mean he can I know. pronounce anything. I'm from County Fermanagh, and as you know, Ronan, 99% of Australians are Irish, which means we can match you in a drinking games and other things. And later on in the conversation, I do want to talk about the wonderful marriage of Aussie rules football and your Gaelic football. Probably another whole episode on that. Wow. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's another thing altogether. Like, that is. That has provoked some serious debate over here. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, nobody likes being made to look like you know a weed. So uh, after a while, we, after a while, we started to look a bit like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I think people were always a bit unsure. I think there was times where it was getting really controversial, and Australia started sending like you know they're like they're basically a really weak team uh, to make us feel a bit better about ourselves. And they just kind of lulled us into a false sense of security, and then they said, "Then they, then they, you know, beat us up all over again." But, yeah, um, that's it's the Australian talent right there. Yeah, but we've been blessed with you know Tag Canelli is an incredible Irish-born player who plays AFL <clears throat> here, and the Australian media had a field day with his name Tag, which is it? It's T A D H G. Is that pronounced Tag? It's pronounced over here. It's pronounced Tyg. I've got one name right and one name wrong in the first three minutes. <laughs> I can no, I can I can completely I can completely understand the you know the the uh, confusion with Tig like uh, as a kid the first time I saw it I was a similar way but um, it's uh, just think like Tiger without the the er part that's how you pronounce it. Um, his dad was a was a Gaelic football legend and as you're probably aware he had had his success in Australia and he came back for one year to play GAA at senior level for Kerry. And he won the All Ireland. It was a bit of a you know a dream sort of sequence from. It's great having you on, Ronan. Uh, we, I would just want to start us from the beginning here. We are interested when we talk about sports. We try and talk talk about them in the context of how awesome they are as a performance based 
uh, thing, right? Like like the what it takes to get good at a sport, what it takes to perform well at a sport. That's all really, really interesting stuff. And of course, uh, Jason and I are both sports fans. We both like to watch sports. But there's also societal issues that are involved as well. And and I remember when I was growing up watching people like Muhammad Ali and uh, you know later on um, people that you know, really were play, fought differently, like Mike Tyson and people like that. I remember always thinking, this is so exciting and so cool, but it's also so brutal and it's also so violent. And part of what makes, makes it attractive is that it's violent, but it's also potentially harmful. And I guess there's just all of that that, uh, that comes out when you talk about something like mixed martial arts or UFC or anything like that. So... You cover a lot of that work, and we were, we're really looking forward to talking to you. So 2022, I just checked out before the start of this recording. UFC is like a billion-dollar organization now, I think. They, their growth has been exponential. You know, And I guess maybe you would know, like, how do we get from boxing to MMA? And what, what do you think is driving all that? I think boxing has become progressively damaged as a spectator sport because there's so many different um, governing bodies. So, you know, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, in the heavyweight division, you have Tyson Fury and, uh, you know, he can fight certain heavyweights, but there's, there's others that he'll accuse of dodging him. Um, it's the same, like, you know, you go down the weights. Uh, Floyd Mayweather for years, people wanted to see him fight Manny Pacquiao. And that fight looked like it was never going to happen because, you know, Manny Pacquiao might have been an IBF or a WBA champion at the time. And Mayweather may have held WBO and uh, ring titles at the time. And they might have just been in slightly different weight divisions. But really, they were just kind of running from each other and there was issues with negotiations. And it's extremely frustrating for fans. And when they finally fought each other, you know, I think they were both a little bit past their best, more so Pacquiao. Um, in mixed martial arts, there are a number of organizations, but the, the UFC is the only show in town. Like you say, it's a you know it's a billion dollar organization. You know, it was bought for more than that figure a few years ago, more than more than two billion dollars. Um, and and fight, fighters, MMA fighters, they want to, the only place they want to fight is the UFC. You know, some of them some some of them go there and they have a bit of success, and they might fall out with the UFC and they'll end up later in their career with another organization. But for a fighter starting out, there is only one place. It's like it's like you know in Ireland. Soccer, football is hugely, hugely popular. Young kids playing football here. I'm going to specifically relate this to boys, unfortunately, uh, because it's not the same for girls. But, you know, they, they want to play in the English Premier League because that's where the glamour and the money is. And for young people uh, starting out in mixed martial arts, and thankfully this is an opportunity to, that extends to boys and girls, men and women. It's The UFC is the only show in town and it pits the best fighters against each other. And... I think that's why spectators appreciate that. Fighters can't dodge each other. The best fighters can't avoid each other. Um, and that, that will be one part of it. Um, you talk about society, societal um, aspects of it. People like watching violence, um, organized violence with a, with a referee. And, um, you know, UFC, MMA can be a hard watch, a much harder watch than boxing, especially when, you know, they get on the floor and it's ground and bound. That can be a really hard watch, for me included. You know, I, I, there's still aspects. You know, they've, they're constantly modifying rules. I, I think it's that all-action approach, especially young, among young ma- male spectators between the ages of teenage to 40s. 
that is that is really highly appealing, you know, and the fact that it's it's put in in, in a in an arena with a referee with rules, and um, you know, it gives it a, a legitimacy, um, and, and that appeals to a lot of people. You know, the UFC have their their most recent show was was last weekend in America, um, UFC two eight two, and Dana White, <coughs> sure he was you know he was cock of the walk. He was talking about their their twenty ninth consecutive sellout this year. Um, it's just in a very, it's in a very healthy place. Um, it's in a place I think even ten years ago nobody could have seen it getting to. But um, you know, sports evolve, uh, personal tastes evolve, and that's where it is now. Uh, right. So, did uh, thinking back the history of UFC, the names Ronda Rousey, Chuck Liddell, and Anderson Silva, these these folks had that vision twenty years ago to bring everything together under one banner. And any any MMA could kind of fit in into the octagon, right? You could come from a lot of different backgrounds and be a fighter. Do you think they had the vision twenty years ago that it would be this big? Um, well, Ronda Rousey probably belongs to the more modern aspect. She's probably seen as being part, you know, the, the, just at the very start of this real huge growth that we've seen in the last decade. Certainly, uh, Chuck Liddell. Who else did you mention there? Sorry, Anderson Silva. And, yeah, Anderson Silva. Our Chuck Liddell is going further back. Anderson Silva. I still think he has, you know, holds the record for the for the longest undefeated uh, streak of, a, of of any UFC uh, champion when he was middleweight champion. Um, certainly for Ch- Chuck Liddell and Anderson Silva, mixed martial arts was in a, a different, evolving place when they were when they were fighting. You know, um, but when UFC started um, in 1993. You know, it's an education to go back and look at like the first ten UFC events. They are just there are almost no rules. Uh, you know, they 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 were promoted. They, they you know, if you look at posters for those events back then, the, the posters almost say there are no rules. Um, right. You know, headbutts were allowed. Oh, uh, pulling of hair was allowed. <laughs> um, there were, you know, really, it's. What isn't allowed was the question, you know. Right, um, <laughs> right. And it wasn't really back then. It wasn't even really proper MMA because you know, you, you, so two guys would come up against each other in the, in the earliest shows at the UFC. They wouldn't. They didn't even have kind of um, uniformal rig out. So one guy might be wearing like a vest and a pair of tracksuit bottoms, and the other guy would be wearing maybe nothing at all uh, on his top part and shorts. In the next fight, maybe a guy is, you know, proficient at Taekwondo and he might be wearing a gi, you know, the, uh, oh. the, the house. Yeah, yeah. So, so <clears throat> it, 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 it looked really, um, it, 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 it was really a bit chaotic in those days. And um, when it was, when it was brought to the ground, you know, people who were more proficient in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu would come out mm. on top. Some, some guys were desperate to keep the fight on, uh, you know, as a boxing match, really, right. because they had, no ability whatsoever. Um, so it wasn't until a few years that rules were were, were brought in and, and it became more um, organized and seen as mixed martial arts. It really, uh, it was really more of a melting pot of um, of martial arts, but 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 it, but it couldn't have been considered mixed martial arts in the early days. It was it was absolutely brutal. This isn't something that evolved from. A bunch of uh, martial arts competitions that turned into like kickboxing, which turned into MMA or whatever. It, it, you're saying this is more like street fighting, or it's like Fight Club or something that turned into this uh, and got rules over time and things like that. 
Absolutely. The, the original mm. UFC shows um, featured eight-man tournaments. Uh, oh, wow. So so quarter so quarter final then you win that and by, and by the way with a time limit with a time with a time limit of 20 minutes so they could fight for 20 minutes now a lot oh. of the fights ended before that you win the quarter final you're fighting again later that night which you know which is ups- that's obscene amazing. now to think about that's amazing and, and then you, you win the semi-final then you're in the then you get into a final and generally the person who won the final then fought for the title at the next event um, wow but, but it that's, was that's, um, that's crazy. There was a gladiatorial element to it. People, there was a sense that people were just going along to watch absolute brutality. You know, um, the referee would be the exact same for all these fights. Um, the cage back then it was was actually much bigger than it is now, but um, yeah. it it had to evolve hugely. Um, it was still, you know, it, it, it wasn't allowed in every state in America. And, hmm. and I say America because it was only in America at the time because, you know, Ultimate Fighting Championship, it wasn't an organization. It was more a thing, you know. It really was underground, too brutal for a lot of people, really. Um, and, and this evolved over time. Um, more rules were brought in. One of the first things to go was that you weren't allowed to do a, what they call a 12 to 6 downward movement with your elbow on somebody's head, you know, for, for very obvious reasons. Yeah, because that's in professional wrestling. It's <laughs> fake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but you, you, can, you know, you to, to think that you're able to do that and the damage it could cause, you know. Oh my um, gosh, you've seen some crazy stuff, Ronan. If you're covering this, yeah, like you've had to have seen everything at this point. Well, th- thankfully, those those rules have been, you know have been amended. They were amended within the first number of years. Um, by the time UFC. MMA. I'll just I'll call it MMA because um, it's that's the bigger. The popul- yeah, yeah. Well, the the, the popularity, the, the growth of the UFC has led to the popularity of other um, um, MMA organizations, but they're all so much smaller, you know. So um, you know, um, one FC, uh, one fighting championship in Europe. You know, you might have uh, Bama, which is you know, you have Cage. Cage Warriors, which is the organization that Conor McGregor fought for uh, before he fought for the UFC. But these, the finances involved, well, maybe one FC has a bit of finance behind it, but the finances involved in other MMA organizations, they, they can't really hold a candle to the UFC, you know? So um, it's, it's the only place to be. Um, but by the time I was covering it strongly, they really had um, settled on their rules um, from a UFC point of view. MMA is still extremely problematic in Ireland because Sport Ireland is the um, is the governing body here that licenses sports you know you know Gaelic football Gaelic games hurling soccer uh, boxing they're all recognized by Sport Ireland and they all receive government funding from Sport Ireland because they're recognized as sports MMA is not recognized as a sport in Ireland um, uh. it's still hugely yeah so it's still it's still a hugely controversial thing here you know um, it's still a debate so, which which is which is strange at a time where Irish MMA contributed so much to the growth of um, of the MMA in America and USC and globally. But it, so it's, it still has a way to go here before it can be it's it's fully uh, licensed. But but that only means so much because you can still put on a UFC show in Ireland. But it has a bit of a it can be seen as having a bit of an underground element, you know, because it's not sanctioned at the highest level. 
but um, I'm probably um, you know talking about Irish MMA. Yeah, I'm, pro- I'm probably not quite touching on what you're looking for there. No, that's really interesting. I, I, the, the idea that it's not sanctioned is fascinating, particularly because because Conor McGregor has been so dominant for so many years. If you think about demographics, you mentioned that young men, sort of teenagers through to 40, is probably the biggest demographic. Regionally, like around the world, is the US kind of the heartland? Because the fighters seem to be fairly international. Like we've got this Aussie guy who's a, a, in there and I've just seen you know, men and women. Is there one region that's really, really popular? Well, you're right. It's international. And, um, you know, uh, you're, you're obviously talking about... Um, uh, Alexander uh, Volkanov, the uh, the uh, current uh, featherweight champion, who's uh, f- he'll be fighting. He'll be not to bring this back to Conor McGregor every time. I'm starting to sound like a real stereotypical Irish man, but he'll be fighting for the uh, for the lightweight champion in uh, in a couple of months. So you know uh, Volkanovski, so he'll have a, an opportunity there to be, to become a, a, a two way champion, which is you know a very rare thing. But to answer your question about popularity. It's it's hugely popular in, in in the UK. It has growth in Ireland, Australia. Your country has a has a champion, so you can obviously see the growth there. It's massive in Brazil. It's always been massive in oh, Brazil. You know, yeah, the, that makes the, sense. Right, the home of the home of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, as soon as fighters become really big and they start headlining main events, Dana White, the president of the UFC, wants them on shows in America because it's all about the pay-per-view audience. And um, it's why, you know, it's why certain fighters, before they become really big, might get to, you know, fight in their home territory. But if, if they come, if they become really big and they start, you know, drawing uh, pay-per-view figures that that are lining the UFC coffers to a, a significant amount, they're going to be they're going to be based in America. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the model, so, the business model is is still very boxing ish. If you if you think of it that way, then because I I, I distinctly remember in college going to a Mike Tyson pay per view. Yeah, I remember uh, that thing. And and back then they were expensive enough that college students such as myself would go over to somebody's house and we all would like pool in basically to do it. Yeah, because you know, but that's how those guys made so much money. I mean those. I don't remember what the rates were, but they seemed really exorbitant, you know. And if you went to a bar, you had to pay because mm. they had to pay. They they had a different rate, you know, for commercial rate or whatever. If they wanted, to yeah, put it's it funny, on. you know, this culture that exists in America for pay per view events, and um, it doesn't exist elsewhere. So um, it, it does exist, but not to the same extent that um, American people seem to be willing to pay for um, for sports events. And obviously, it's also a huge market, you know. You know, mm-hmm. England and Ireland combined. You know, you're you're talking about a, a fraction of the population yeah. of America. So as soon as Conor McGregor became a huge star, it sounds like I keep bringing it back to him, but 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 there's a good reason for that. I think you know, five of the of uh, the UFC's biggest pay per view events have featured Conor McGregor. You know, yeah. So so he his last fight that he ever fought in Ireland was in 2014. It was a, um, it was against Diego Brandao. It was a UFC numbered event, which is it was a fight night event, which is different to their numbered events. You know, i.e., the last one was UFC two eight two. They're the big events. The last mm-hmm. time McGregor fought in Ireland, it was like it was called a fight night forty six, I think. Um, as soon as he became big, they kept him in America because they wanted the times to uh, coincide with American audiences. 
when he fought um, when he fought Khabib Norm, Norma Gamadoff in 2018. That was the biggest uh, pay-per-view audience in UFC history. Um, the bulk of it coming from the States. 2.4 million pay-per-view subscriptions. Um, <laughs> which is abs- which is which is the biggest by a mile. Um, uh, the, 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 the prior biggest, I think, was 1.65 million, which McGregor um, and uh, Nate Diaz um, wow. you know, attracted. Now, in boxing that same year, um, uh, Canelo versus uh, Golovkin was the biggest uh, boxing match of the year. Now, that was that also, you know, neither guy is that, neither guy is American, but it took place in Las Vegas, and uh, it, that drew 1.2 million pay-per-view uh, subscribers. So um, that, that, that kind of gives you an idea of just how big that uh, uh, McGregor-Khabib fight was. Um, but boxing still holds the biggest uh, pay-per-view audience of all time. That was um, that was uh, Mayweather versus um, Pacquiao. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which, which was 4.6 million. Now, Mayweather versus McGregor came pretty close. 4.3 million pay-per-view subscribers, which is pretty goddamn close for a guy crossing over for a kind of, you know, a, a bit of a gimmick match for his only yeah. ever professional boxing match. But, um, so, so you know, that's that's where we're at. But the, all of these fights have one thing in common. They all take place in America because the the, the appetite is there and, and generally Las Vegas, um, sometimes mm-hmm. New York, Madison Square Garden, you know, for, for reasons of prestige or, you know, but, but Las Vegas is the place and uh, New York is the country, New York is the country, America is the country, you, you know, you, you take it to Europe, you're totally out of whack with the American time zone and yeah. people are, people are well, unlikely to stay up. Yeah, it makes sense. There's the, there's the media infrastructure here. There is the population here, third largest country population wise, and of course, there's a lot of Irish Americans. So there's probably an, uh, there's probably a lot of Conor McGregor fans here. I haven't looked that up, but I, I am curious though. You brought up the like if we talk about this as a performance thing, just real quick. Um, have you found that has you know, in all the sports, they go through phases where styles become more successful. And you had mentioned yep. that earlier, the, there's people who wanted to stay upright because they were better boxers or fighters, and there was other people who wanted to get and grapple because that was more of their expertise. Do you kind of have to be a blend now, or is it is it still like, well, this guy's more of a fighter, this guy's more of a, a grappler? It, it, what's it like now? I don't even know. Um, you, you definitely have to be a blend Um you know the, the the top guys in UFC generally um, aren't top strikers. They're not. You know they they, they wouldn't stand toe to toe with a professional boxer. You can nearly tell to watch them. Um, you need to be an all rounder. The guys that can't survive when a fight goes to the floor, when it goes to the ground, right. they generally you know don't make it to the top. So that means you you need to be really on top of your uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu. Um, if you're on top of your Brazilian jiu jitsu and you are one of the rare MMA guys that has really strong striking, like explosive power in your fists, that's that's when you're, you know, a champion in the making. That's the combo, um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that is the combination. Um, if, you, if, you, if you're really top quality on the ground and on your feet, that you know, that's a champion in the making. If you're if you're okay at one and really good at the other, you've given yourself half a chance. And if you, you know, if you don't stand out in both, but but somehow you find yourself in the UFC, you'll probably be an undercard fighter for your entire career. You know, you, mm. it's um, it's it, there's so many variables in mixed martial arts. It's it's not like boxing, as you know, where whereas you know you can 
you know, it's it's rigid. You're standing toe to toe with each other. In MMA, you know, you can lose on the ground, ground and pound. You can, you know, you can, you could get you lose by armbar, by ankle lock, mm-hmm. by you, you know, ground and pound. As I said, you could lose on your feet to a KO. You could lose to a, you know, a, a, a flying knee kick. There's um, so the variables are there. That's why that's why you don't see UFC records of you know, you don't really see thirty and all records. Uh, you know, because there's too many variables and people get caught. Khabib Nurmagomedov was a um, total exception to that. I think he retired 30-0 thereabouts. I think that's what his record was. But, um, you know, um, MMA fighters lose and they come back and they, you know, they put together a sequence of victories and they lose again. And But it's not uh, career-defining those defeats. You know, mm-hmm. defeats are more acceptable, I find, in uh, MMA, whereas a lot of the time... Um, Boxing champions might have gone sometimes 25, 30, 35, sometimes 40 fights. Um, and a defeat can be so damaging that, you know, it's uh, it's really hard for them to bounce back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You've seen that with iconic fighters. It just it just seems to um, it, it, it seems to make them realize that they're no longer uh, un- unbeatable or something. It's uh, A lot of it is psychology. A lot of it is... But a lot of it is, you know, years and years of taking taking blows to the head, which 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 does take a toll. <laughs> that was my question. I've come from a rugby background, and Chris has watched a lot of NFL, and mm-hmm. we know concussion is like growing. I think the English rugby union's facing a gigantic um, class action lawsuit. Is that even a consideration in UFC, or is it like it's just it's part of the trade? You are going to get concussed. Get over it. <clears throat> Um, they've kind of played lip service to it. A couple of years ago, they did release a, a document which was absolutely massive. It was like it was so big that I think you know that it was done on purpose that people nearly get lost in the pages. It was like four hundred and eighty-four pages long. Um, but the key like takeaways from that were, you know, after a fight, if you've seen a specialist and it's clear that you've, um, you know, you've suffered a, a brain trauma, and, and and let's be clear, like research shows that. You know, if you're def- if you are defeated by TKO, you have suffered a brain trauma. You know, the, the likelihood is that um, research uh, research that was touched upon in this uh, it was it was a couple of years ago. This is the UFC's biggest um, b- biggest release on concussion and brain trauma. Um, it's online; you can go and look at it. But it's a very unsatisfactory uh, document in many ways because it talks about things like. Um, Taking two days rest before you can go back to, uh, you know, you know, uh, full combat training. It's, it's really something that, that, that isn't dealt with because, you know, the, 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 this is ultimate fighting championship. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know the, if they start acknowledging the reality of concussion and, and bodily damage, um, I, I don't know how, how long they'd have a, a business for. So comparisons are drawn in, in this document to, you know, what, NFL is doing in recent years. Um, comparison, the comparisons are drawn very sort of casually, but mm-hmm. but, but they're, they're drawn. Um, so I think you know there's a long way to go. Uh, the UFC has a long way to go. You know, in terms of they always release uh, medical suspensions after fights. Uh, you know, guys who who suffer a TKO defeat, or you know, they might have broken. You know broken a leg or an ankle which which happens sometimes you know those injuries that are that are so hard to look at when a fighter's leg snaps but um those medical suspensions uh, kind of pay lip service i think to the reality of uh, what 
what is it you know a really really dangerous 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 sport um there's a pattern with, with ufc fighters at the top level i think once you go above the 30 fight career you're in really dangerous territory research um, has shown that it's oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 generally not one one fight that damages you, you know, in later life. Yeah. It's it's an accumulation of, of, of blows over an entire career. Um, so, Ronan, your perspective is so fascinating because you're seeing it from all angles, right? Um, we would love to ask you the question. It's our favorite question. We ask it at the end. Is there any myth you'd like to debunk about UFC or MMA generally? Anything that, you know, people think that you've seen pretty much isn't true <laughs> well you know there was a very sad instance in, in ireland um six years ago where one of those where, where, where a smaller organization total total extreme fighting um put, put on an event it was its first ever event and one of the main uh, fights in the event was an irish fighter called charlie ward who um actually had a, a brief run in the ufc subsequently after that he was fighting uh, against a portuguese fighter called joe carvalho um, Charlie Ward won that fight uh, ground and pound in the third and final round uh, the, the, he, the referee stepped in declared him the victor um, Carvalho was, was immediately stunned you could see it but he came to um, and in a medical room afterwards both fighters were being assessed and he seemed fine um, he very quickly complained of headaches started feeling nauseous had to be rushed to the hospital and um, Placed on life support, died two days later. Um, yeah, so that that actually that, that created maybe the biggest you know talking point around MMA in Ireland ever. And um, it reopened the debate around whether you know it should be sanctioned, whether it should be allowed at all. Uh, there was people against it, and the people who were for MMA vehemently talked about how safe it was. You know, John Kavanagh, Conor McGregor's coach, who's, who has quite a high profile. He would have spoken out, you know, in favor of it. Um, and people would have said, people who are in favor of uh, MMA would have said things like, you know, it's very safe. Um, but, it, but but at the top level, it's not very safe. You know, there's there's, there's no getting away from that. Um, and there's no point in sugarcoating it. Uh, people are, people, I think, are entertained by it because of the huge risks involved. Um I, I, I think the risks involved are, 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 are greater than in boxing, but um, other right. uh, scientific figures mightn't necessarily back up what I'm saying there. But then again, research based on boxing events goes back much longer at the same time. So I think this is something that's evolving. But I do yeah. think you can read a lot into uh, UFC careers, MMA careers being shorter in terms of number of fights that uh, fighters have. I, I I do think the, cum the cumulative damage is greater. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a dangerous sport. And uh, it's not so much a myth that I'm debunking. But uh, in that debate that, that, that's gone on here, and it's still raging, just not as loudly as it was in 2016 when Joe Carvalho so pa sadly passed away. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was a running story for the next couple of years because obviously there was post-mortem results and there was, you know, there was... There was talk shows and everything, but but if I, you know, so it's not a myth. It's clearly a very dangerous sport. But some people would talk about the safety measures in place. They would say, you know, in in boxing you can be knocked down three times in a round and still you know fight on. Whereas in the UFC, if you're knocked down um, and you're not adequately defending yourself straight away, the referee might call call it quits. But I still think the idea that 
you can jump in on a guy and pound him on the head while he's down. Like like in the instance of Jared Carvalho, um, he was grounded not really very well defending himself. He took nine blows to the head while grounded, you know? Oh, God. Um, yeah, that was that that was a MMA event at the at the at the lowest level. In that it was a it was an organization that was set up. That was its first event, Total Extreme Fighting. It had one more event after that, but it's worrying in that Total Extreme Fightings can uh, organizations like that can you know as long as they have the money to rent out an arena and to get the fighters to fight, you know they can they can do that tomorrow in the morning if they want, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Thank yeah. you, Ronan. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. This is uh, this has been really enlightening. It's uh, it's something that uh, I'm actually even more curious about it now. Is, is that is that good or bad? I don't. That's know. good. <laughs> Let's go and watch something. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's go. Okay. I feel as I feel as though we're only scratching the surface. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's that's the way all of these go, Ronan. We're only a half hour. Like you know, it just gets good, and then we're like, and that's Ronan. But, but, but I also, I, if I may, I don't. I actually, I don't want to um, sound off on a on a negative note there. If I have like another thirty seconds, go, go, go. These UFC events, there's something absolutely addictive about them. You know mm-hmm. the. the, the that's um, the risks that the fighters take. You know, the crowd, they're totally, you know, they're totally invested. Um, nobody puts on a show like the Americans. A UFC event in Las Vegas, it's a, it's a very, very special thing. And if you ever get an opportunity to go, I would. But um, if you ever get an opportunity to stand in a cage and go toe-to-toe and fight, I wouldn't. You know what, Jason? Uh, Jason, I think that sounds like amazing advice. I think you're going to have to make a trip to Las Vegas, and we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to get to one of these things. I'm so with you, Ronan. Thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Ronan. Thanks. Have a good evening. See you, See you Jason. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.